Thank you, Gary. Clark Cawthorn tells a story uh, of an unexpected house guest one Christmas. A squirrel had fallen down the chimney into his wood-burning stove in the basement of his home. And he thought that if he would just go down and lift the squirrel out of the chimney, everything would work well, right? It didn't work this way, though. He reached in to get the squirrel out of the chimney to rescue the squirrel, but the squirrel would only scratch and claw at him, not letting him uh, to do it, let, let him do it. He finally managed to construct a cardboard box cage, and he took it, placed it in front of the chimney. The squirrel craw- crawled into the box, and he took the squirrel out into the backyard. Cawthorn later reflected. He said, isn't it funny how before its redemption, our little visitor had frantically tried to bash its way out of its dark prison. It seemed that the harder it struggled to get free, the more pain it caused itself. He says, in the end, it had to wait until one who was much bigger, who could peer into his world, could carry him into the larger world where he really belonged. He says, that is what the Lord will do for us. As we step into this season of Advent, we are like the trapped squirrel. We're in a mess. We're in a fix. We need someone to lift us out. Now, today's the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is this season where we're anticipating God. Now, during the Advent season, we're going to be talking about the way in which God's people long for him to show up. People of God were in a desperate situation. They needed him. And this year, we're going to be spending our time in the book of Isaiah... Now, before we dive into this text, let me give you a little bit of background on Isaiah. Uh, When we pick up Isaiah, most of us uh, wonder if Isaiah has anything to do with our lives today. It's an old text, right? It's in the Old Testament. And we think of prophets, and sometimes we think of them as kind of being out of touch in 2023. I mean, don't they have long hair and beards and robes, and don't they just yell and scream at people, we might think? But in the ancient Middle East, prophets were seen as the way... To hear God. God spoke through the prophets. Even other religions in ancient cultures had prophets. People would listen to the prophets. The prophets would look around the world and they would explain what God thought about the world. Sometimes they would call out people living in contrast to God. Sometimes they would predict what God was going to do in the future. Sometimes they would simply reveal the heart of God to the people of God. And one of the most famous prophets is this guy named Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah is a long book. It has a lot to do about what God was doing in the world, not only in Isaiah's time, but Isaiah points ahead to the coming of Jesus, to the Messiah. He reveals that God was going to come in a new and different way, and his coming would be beyond what the people could comprehend. Now, it would be be impossible to explain all of Isaiah in just a few minutes, but one of the key features of Isaiah is his pointing ahead to God's salvation. Isaiah describes God as one who loves his children, providing a way of salvation for his children. Again, that is fulfilled in Jesus. On the one hand, Isaiah is speaking into the context of his day, into the context of ancient Israel, but at the same time, he's pointing ahead to a time when God will come hundreds of years from when he lives. He's speaking about the overall work of God in the world. Throughout the book of Isaiah, we get detailed descriptions of this Messiah, the one who is going to come and save. 
A lot of people thought that he would come in power, but Isaiah says he's coming as a suffering servant. He's going to come in humility. He's going to be in the line of David, Isaiah says. He's going to come and establish justice to make the world right again. He's going to come not just to Israel, but to all nations. He's going to make right what Adam made wrong. He's coming to the poor, the blind, the deaf, Isaiah says. God's restoration will not be a political restoration, Isaiah says. It will be a heavenly kingdom restoration. These are all themes in the book of Isaiah. Let me invite you to open Isaiah with me. Today we're going to look at chapter 64 in just nine verses, verses 1 through 9. It's a beautiful picture here of the people of God in a desperate place. Isaiah calling out to God. In a world that's longing for God to show up. Isaiah 64, and we're just going to walk through these uh, verses one at a time this morning. Isaiah 64 verse 1 says, oh, you, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you. Isaiah's asking God to come, isn't he? He's asking God to show up. And he gives reasons in verse 2. He says, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Isaiah sees the injustices of his world. He sees the enemies of God succeeding in all that they do. He sees a world that's not right. And he wants God to come Because he wants God's enemies to see his power. So he begs God, would you come? Isaiah's not asking God to do something that he hasn't done before. In fact, Isaiah mentions a time when God came in verse 3. It says, for when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. See, when God shows up, incredible things happen. He continues in verse 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard. No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Isaiah describes God as like no other. Isaiah describes no other possibility for salvation except through God. Isaiah describes God as one who acts on behalf of his people. Isaiah tells God that he knows that he will act and he can act for those who wait for him. Now, think about the ways in which God has, has acted in the past, and particularly from where Isaiah sits. He's probably thinking about the parting of the Red Sea in the book of Exodus, right? We know that story. The people of God were toast. They had no way out, and God showed up, and he rescued them. You could recount story after story of God showing up and rescuing It wasn't that God was showing off. It wasn't that God was just simply providing fireworks for people to enjoy. You see, God was in the process of saving his people. And Isaiah looks back and says, God, you've done it once. I know you can do it again. There's no doubt, Isaiah says. But but notice in the text here, Isaiah reveals these conditions for God to show up. Look what he says in verse 4. He says that God acts in response to those who wait for him. Now, isn't it interesting to see Isaiah's descriptions here of God showing up to those who wait for him? Look what he says in in other parts of Isaiah. I'll just read these passages and you can listen. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18 says, Yet the Lord Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. 
And then this familiar passage in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. I'm sure you've heard this passage. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So Isaiah wants God to come. He wants God to show up. He knows that God can and will. God responds, Isaiah says, to those who wait on him. Then look at verse 5. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Now, let's think about this for a moment. God shows up. Are we ready for him to show up? What if we're not ready? What if we're not wanting God to show up? Do we really want God to come? You see, God's coming can be a terrifying thing if we're not ready for him, right? But if we're waiting on God, if we want him to come, if we're anticipating salvation or deliverance, God's coming can be a marvelous thing. So Isaiah questions the conditions of God's coming here. He continues in verse 5, But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? Do you feel the tension in the text here? We want God to come. We're waiting on him to come. We know that God comes to those who wait on him. But Isaiah says... I'm not sure that we're ready. He looks around his world and he says, we're not waiting on him to show up. What about those who are far from God? What about those who aren't paying attention to God? What about those who don't want God to show up? Can they be saved? Is it possible for salvation to, the, to come to those who don't want God? And Isaiah describes the condition of the people. He describes a people who are far from God. Look at what he says in verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Isaiah says, yeah, I know God will come to those who call out to him. But I'm looking around my world and it doesn't seem like we're ready. Our sins have overwhelmed us, Isaiah says. He continues in verse 7, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Isaiah's living in a world where it seems like nobody's calling out to God. Isaiah's describing a people who have fallen into sin, and because they're in sin, it seems like God's turned away from them. It seems like there's no hope. It seems like God's not going to show up. Now think about this for a minute. Does God only show up for people who want him to show up? Does God only act for people who deserve him to act? Does God reveal himself only to those who desire him? If this is the case, there's no hope, Isaiah says. Now God has shown up in the past, Isaiah knows this. But the people of God seem to be in a place where they're far from him. And Isaiah wonders if God will show up. Can they be saved? Will God show up? And then the text turns on one word. Look with me in verse 8. Yet. See what's going on here? Yet. This is the way it should work out. But it's not going to work out this way. The people of God are far from God. They should be destroyed. They should not be saved. They don't deserve for God to show up. Yet. Yet. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. It's 
turning point in this text. Our Father. How do we pray on Sunday mornings? Our what? Father. Right? We call God Father. His love for us is not conditional. What can your kids do that will make you stop loving them? Think about that for a moment. When my kids were small, I had a bedtime routine with our kids. I would say to them every night, who loves you? And they would respond, you do. I would say, who loves you more than anything? And they would say, you do. I would say, what can you do to make me stop loving you? And they would say, nothing. I did this at times with all three of my kids, and I was trying to remember this week, you know, how that worked out. And so I called my kids and I asked them, do you remember me doing that? And Anna and Levi both said, yeah, we remember it, but it wasn't that big of a deal to us. We knew that you loved us. But I knew um, that Dawson and I did this more often. And so I called Dawson and I said, do you remember me doing this? And he said, oh, yeah, I remember it. He said, it was really special to me. And I remember at times Dawson saying to me, Dad, would you say it? Right before I went to bed, would you say it? We did it, we did it every night. And I talked to Anna this week, and she said, you know, I remember you even saying that to Dawson when he was in high school. And I asked Dawson about that. How, when did we stop doing that? He said, well, I, I don't know. He said, I remember getting older, and I remember you not doing it as often. He said, but I remember when we would have a fight, you would come into my room, even when I was older. And we would hug, and you would say to me, who loves you? And he said, I would say, you do. I say, who loves you more than anything? He said, you do. And I would say to him, what can you do to make me stop loving you? And he would say, nothing. It was very important to him. We all need to hear this from God, don't we? What can you make me do to stop loving you? Nothing. That's what Isaiah is doing here. Isaiah is saying, God, you are our father. You see what he's saying out here? And then the next phrase, Isaiah describes God's relationship to us. Look what he says in verse 8. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Does the clay influence the potter? Does the clay determine what the potter will do with him? No, the clay is passive, right? The clay can only do what the potter does to it. Really, the clay doesn't do anything. It only becomes The clay is formed. And so Isaiah is proclaiming to God, God, you're the one in charge. You're the one who does the work. We're the clay. We are only formed and created by you. And so Isaiah boldly asks in verse 9, Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Can God forgive sins? Can God not be angry? Can he do this? Verse 9, oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Isaiah is asking God to forgive sins, to not be angry. Isaiah is asking God to reclaim his people. Do you feel the tension in Isaiah's words? Do you feel the fullness in his words? We're entering the season of Advent, and we're asking God to show up, to do the impossible. And here we are asking God to reclaim his people. God, you are the potter. We are the clay. God, you are father. We are children. We're unable to do what we need to do for you to come. We're in sin. We've turned from you. We're not calling out to you. We're not waiting on you. But the prophet stands up for his people calls out to God, God, we need you to show up. 
God, we're messed up. We need you to redeem our brokenness. Do you see the paradox in this text? On the one hand, Isaiah says God comes to those who wait on him, those who want him to come. And yet on the other hand, Isaiah says the people of God don't necessarily want him to come, but they need him to come. And in the end, God, Isaiah calls on God as father. He calls on God as potter. And in the end, Isaiah asks God to do the impossible. God, would you show up even though we don't deserve it? As we step in the season of Advent, we are reminded that we're like the squirrel stuck in a chimney. We might be frantically trying to free ourselves, but we don't know how to get out. This Christmas, we realize that we need something bigger than us. We need something greater than us. We need someone that can see the bigger world that can bring us out of the stove. May we collectively call on God today. May we anticipate his coming, his showing up, his delivering us when we are incapable of delivering ourselves. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for these nine verses in Isaiah that remind us that you rescue us even when we don't deserve it. They remind us that you are our father. You are the potter. We are the clay. God, may we hold on to these images. May we hear your voice saying to us that you love us, that you're our father, and that there's nothing that we can do to keep you from loving us. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.